Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Would you stand with us as we worship together this morning? Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn. Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my tune Till I met you you called my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into your glorious day you called my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into glorious day now your mercy has saved my soul and now your freedom is all that I know the old man Jesus when I met you
this one more time. Hallelujah.
this morning, Lord, that we would never cease to sing of how good you are, to tell of how good you are, God, not just with our words, but with our lives, Lord. I just pray for this service this morning as we read your word. God, would you just be present here? Help us to encounter you and walk away with something new. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Seated. Good morning. Is this on? Good. Great to see you guys here. A great crowd. It's, um, you know, the, the fact that the smoke came in, you said, well, we'll go to church instead of the lake today, you know. Um, and um, so we have several announcements, so be patient with us. First is our VBS. Oh, by the way, I'm Tony. I'm the pastor here. If you're visiting, it's wonderful to have you. Here's what we would ask from you, if you wouldn't mind. In the seat back in front of you is a card. It's, just a, it's a little information card. If you wouldn't mind filling that out, drop it in the offering boxes when you leave. And love to follow up with you this week just to see how we can meet your needs. Um, so we'd love to hear from you, and we're thrilled you're here today. So thank you. With that, we have a VBS coming up. We just finished a week of soccer camp. And I don't know if you knew about that, but we had a soccer camp where people from all over the world, nine different coaches from all over the world, came to lead a soccer camp for 58 of our kids, I believe it was. And um, it was phenomenal. They were, they were incredibly, not just athletes teaching soccer, but they loved Jesus and told our kids about Jesus. And normally they'd be with us Sunday morning, but they had to catch a train to their next spot. Except Izzy's here. Izzy, where are you? I'm going to embarrass you, Izzy. You have to stand up, Izzy. Come on. You have to stand up, Izzy, as a representative. A representative of, of the soccer team. And Izzy is from Cleveland. And she's actually heading down to Arizona for a job interview. So you could pray for her for that. Why she'd want to live in the heat of Arizona, I do not know. But now to the announcements. VBS is coming up. On the screen, you'll see here that it starts Tuesday, August 17th. You can go online to our website and sign your children up. Let your friends know about this. We expect way more kids at the DBS than we had the soccer camp. Opportunity to, for, to tell your neighbors, to bring your neighbors' kids, to hear about Christ. Many of these kids know nothing about Jesus Christ, and he's the hope of the world. So we could use more volunteers. Go on the website, sign up, and hear more information about how you can help. Also, MOPS, you guys know what MOPS is? Mothers of preschoolers. We're going to start that back up in the fall, Jess is going to. And, um, and we had the second meeting, so if you're a mother of a preschooler, our second gathering is Tuesday, July 22nd, um, from 10 to 12 at Kings Beach. So you can get the information there also on the website. This is an amazing ministry to moms that, that encourages them, teaches them, comes alongside them to um, help them get through that time where your children are small. So again, interested in that? There's the information. Jessica's new as our children's minister. And, um, 
and her and I have been talking about how to do this. So we're, we're looking at about every five or six weeks, we're going to have the kids in the service to be part of the service. Because often, you guys, when we separate children the whole life, and you come into the building, and kids go one way and adults go the other, the kids grow up never really understanding what we do in here. So, so every five or six weeks, we're going to have them in the services. That's next week. So if you're a parent here, bring your kids in. And don't stay home because your kids are with you. We're going to have a service that is geared towards them. Elena's going to have them on stage doing some singing. We'll have a children's sermon that day and, and a big boy sermon, too, and a big girl sermon. Um, so it's going to be a wonderful time to, to um, realize our children are our future and help them be part of the worship with us. So you with me on that? Okay. So that's next week. So if you're, if you're a parent, remember, don't go downstairs. Come right in here. Now I'm excited. I'm excited about all these with this next one. We're having a baptism on August 29th. And we, we have our baptism services down at Burnt Cedar Beach. And so August 29th, if you come here and it's empty, it's because we're there. Come on down. If you live in Incline, just show them your pass to get in. If you don't live in Incline, you go up to the, the booth when you pull in and say, I'm with Cornerstone Church, they'll let you in. And Cornerstone will cover the cost of that. And we're going to have a, a setup on the peninsula out there for worship and services, and then we're going to baptize. And it's a blast when we baptize down the lake. So August 29th. Here's what I need you to do. If you have not been baptized or you want to know more about baptism, a week before this, we'll have a class. I'll get that published soon. And the class is about what is baptism? Why do we do it? Does it save me? Is it simply symbolic? Why do we do it? That's what the class is about, information for you to understand what baptism is. So then you can decide, yes, I need to be baptized or, or maybe I'm not ready to be baptized yet. But don't stay away from the class if you have any questions, come to the class. So right now, I need a sign. I have a sign-up out on the counter out there to the left as you leave. Put your name and your contact information. I'll get a hold of you about the class. And then you can come to the class, and, and then you can ask the question, is this where God is leading me in baptism? So to us, baptism is very, very important. If you were to read the New Testament, no, when you read the New Testament, not if you read the New Testament, you see there that when people came to faith in Jesus, they got baptized immediately, immediately. So we've kind of separated it, and, and we want to create an urgency back to the fact that baptism and coming to faith in Jesus Christ go hand in hand. They shouldn't be separated. So anyways, come to that class. Sign up, though. I can't invite you to the class if you're not signed up. Worship night, August 6th. This is our third worship night. Is that right, Elena? So third one, we did one on Sunday night, we did one on Saturday night, now we're going to do one on Friday night. And, and these are a blast. We other churches in, come with us, and it'll be an hour, hour and a half of worship. I'll talk for two or three minutes, five or ten. She, she gives me five. It's really hard to stay within five. But these are times, just to have an extended time of, of raising our voices to the Lord. So put that on your calendar, August 6th. Last. Last is we want to show you a video of a ministry this church supports up in Alaska. Then after that video, Barry Bayo, our missions director, is going to come up with Lee and Bev, who are part of that ministry, and explain more. So watch this video, and you may want to get out some tissue. When you get married to a soldier, especially when you're young, you really don't know what you're getting into. There's a honeymoon period, you know, and then it's 
the bomb explodes. A lot of times veterans get married young in life. One of them goes off to combat and comes back very different. That's hard for sometimes a spouse to understand. Welcome to Alaska. You got the warrior, but behind the warrior is a family. And so we think it's really important uh, that we try to support the military family. The goal of Operation Heal Our Patriots is to revitalize marriages through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that he is the one that can bring lasting change and hope and renewal. He is the heal in Operation Heal Our Patriots. And it's all of us uniting around these men and women and saying, we love you, we support you, um, we've been there. Operation Healer of Patriots is committed to these veterans for life. We have reunions, we do Fortify Your Marriage retreats, and it just starts right here in Alaska. It's really pretty, as long as we don't fall. It's amazing how God brought all these couples here and how we are so similar in the struggles and going, okay, so we're not alone. As I was learning what PTSD is, what, why am I different, why am I having nightmares, why am I reacting this way, she's also now learning the same thing. And it kind of helps us come together. I did two uh, deployments to Iraq. I had just turned 21 years old and I deployed on, on a Saturday. So when I got back, I met my wife. We got married in December of that same year before I deployed again. He wasn't diagnosed with PTSD till after he got out of the military. Just like every other soldier, there's, there's wounds you can't see. Everybody has problems, every marriage has problems, um, but it could be something so small, and for him it's amplified, you know, maybe 10 times, 100 times, depending on the day. She would tell me about getting help, and, and I would always say, we don't, we don't need that, we don't, like, I'm fine, no, no. And uh, deep down, I, we weren't fine. I was emotionally done. When we first got here, you just felt safe. It's it, welcomed, you felt yes. loved, you felt wanted. I felt special. He was talking about issues that he doesn't talk to anybody about. It, that's where it started. There was things that we were actually able to work through, issues that we've had for years. And it's out of this place of forgiveness that we can then forgive. We miss our daughter so much. I miss her every single day, but this was the best thing we could have done. This was the best thing we could have done for us and for her, because she's gonna have parents that have learned how to help each other, how to communicate, communicate with each other. She's gonna get back better parents than what we were when we left. I resolved to build my life. I resolved to build my life. And our family anew. And our family anew. On a firm foundation of faith. On a firm foundation of faith. Edgar, you may kiss your bride. <laughs> this is a step we needed to take together. And, and we gave our heart to Christ, and we're getting baptized. We're, we're, we're doing it. Both ready. <laughs> yes, yeah. we're both we're ready. ready.
in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is like this, raising yeah. a new life. <laughs> we baptize you, our brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in his likeness, created near in Christ. <laughs> I know his heart. I know his heart. And we just needed this. We needed God to, you know, just kind of maybe dust it off. <laughs> you know, dust it off and just say, this is the person you fell in love with. 16 years ago. You know, this is still the person that puts you first. This is still the person that chooses you. Um, and it's still the person that I choose. I tell you, that is powerful, isn't it? My name is Barry Bale. I'm a deacon here, and I also um, on the missions committee as well. And I'd like to introduce Bevan Lee Williams. Where are you guys? Uh, so some of you already probably know this, but um, Lee and Bev generally do uh, annual trip to Alaska to work and volunteer at the um, heal our patriots mission so for Samaritan's Purse and um, they're usually gone for quite some time month two months sometimes even longer and uh, it's a it's a it's a very arduous time for them because it's a lot of work but it's also very rewarding as well and Bev also were um, volunteers on our missions committee along with myself as well and um and mary beth is on the missions committee as well and christina fahad for all of you that know her she's back here raising her hand but uh so we, you know we have that responsibility to look over our missions and um also responsible to the congregation as well but no further ado i'd like them to talk about their mission and what they're going to be doing thanks barry yes We do go up every year and volunteer. Uh, Lee does maintenance and I do housekeeping and I always say I'd clean toilets. <laughs> we love these veterans so much and they sacrifice so much for us. And it's, it's such a blessing to be able to go there and serve um, these veterans. And so we're so thankful for you guys to pray for us and especially pray for the ministry and pray for the veterans. and. Um, Barry and I and the mission team also want to begin uh, sharing about some of the other ministries that the church supports too that not only will be praying for Samaritan's Purse, but many of the other ministries that we support. And so in the coming months, we'll be doing that as well. I grab Barry's. Um, so what you saw in that video um, happens every week that we're up there and all summer long. It's a 18 week, um, uh, 18 week venue this summer uh, because it's limited by the weather up in Alaska. They started at the end of May. It'll go through middle of September. And every week it's an expense paid, fully expense paid trip for these veterans and their wives. They bring the couples up, 10 couples a week. They fly in on Sunday. 
and they get ministered to, and then uh, they leave Friday. The changes that we see, personally see, we can attest to and share with you that of the 10 couples that come up, I would say on average, there's four, six, eight couples that rededicate their marriage, as you saw. Um, there's four, six, eight, 10, sometimes 12 or more people uh, give their heart to Christ and get baptized in Lake Clark. And the temperature of that lake is like Lake Tahoe in March or April. It's chilly. So they remember that when they get baptized. Um, but uh, it, Bev touched on it a little bit. You, people always ask us, well, what do you do when you go up there? And um, you know, do you use your medical training up there? And, and we don't. Uh, Bev got promoted from a nurse to working in housekeeping. And I got promoted from doing dentistry to doing maintenance. And, you know, it's just a blessing to be able to give back um, to these soldiers and their wives. So thank you. Thanks, guys. So stay here for a minute. So what I would like to do right now, guys, is I would like to, to pray for them and also the mission as well, Holy Samaritan's Purse. So for all of you, just stick out your hands and let's just pray for them right now. Father God, we just thank you so much for Lee and Bev and Samaritan's Purse as well for this mission for Heal Our Patriots. It is so important to get these um, marriages together, Lord, and to heal their souls, Lord, from the, the damage from the wars and all the catastrophe that, that they've been through um, for their time uh, in the foreign lands and what they've done for us to protect us, Lord. But for you, you are the, the master healer, and we just... Look to you, Lord, to heal these, these men and women, Lord, that, that come to you in this wonderful place that you have created, and it's God's country, Lord, and we are just so grateful for that, Lord. And we just pray for Lee and Bev, Lord, that um, we know they have a heart to volunteer, Lord, and to give back, Lord, and we just pray that you would give them the energy, Lord, that they need to perform what they have to do there, Lord, and... Uh, the trip would be safe for them, Lord, both there and back, and the time there would be safe, Lord, and that they would just uh, enjoy their time, Lord, as well with the couples as they're there, Lord, and uh, we just give you the glory because you are the one that deserves it, Lord, and we just ask all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as most of you know, I was out for two weeks because of surgery. Then I came back last week, and that surgery was utterly, completely unplanned. So I got two weeks off. And um, came back, I, I, I preached last week. But today we have a guest speaker. So I'm only working part-time, folks. <laughs> and, and, and Gavin is our guest speaker. I'll introduce him in a moment. But this has been planned for months. So this wasn't um, some looking to get out of a preaching again. But, but months ago, I am um, actually probably about a year ago, I met Gavin through the books he writes. And Gavin has um, educational background in, in similar to my interests, and that is in the early church history. And so he wrote a book on that, and I read it. So I communicated with him and got to know him through email. Then he wrote another book that I read um, earlier this year, late last year. I can't remember when I read it. Um, it's called... 
Finding the Right Hills to Die On, The Case for Theological Triage. And this book is about the idea that, that we as Christian churches have multiple disagreements. And we tend to, to divide and become mean-spirited towards each other, things we should not divide over. So he wrote a book on how do Christians rate their doctrinal beliefs for what, what, is, what, is, what would you take a bullet for? In following Jesus and what is it we can disagree on and still call each other brother and sister and actually work and serve together so I contacted Gavin this time I, I got him to give me his phone number and I said Gavin would you be willing to come up to Incline Village this horrible ugly place <laughs> and put a seminar on for pastors on this very topic and he jumped on it he's been here before he knew what it was like to come here so Friday, we had a seminar. We had about 20 pastors in this room. We put, took us to an all-day seminar on our theological differences and how we, how we can talk to each other and understand each other and, and, and break down the walls and the straw men we build up against each other. And I tell you what, I'm in communication with those 20 pastors, and they've all told me that far exceeded our expectation what we thought would happen that day. And it was wonderful. And I always said, Gavin, if you're going to come up and do that, you may as well also preach on Sunday. So it's my real honor, Gavin is a pastor in Southern California, and he'll explain that to you. But it's my real honor to um, ask and introduce to you, ask Gavin Ortland to come up here, and he can introduce his wife. So come on up, Gavin. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, brother. Love you. I'm a little taller than Tony, so I'm pulling this up here. <laughs> I'm used to the Okay, good. I'll, I'll keep it going then. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to worship with you all. I'm here with my wife, Esther, who's in the front row, and we have four young children who are with us down in the, the children's and nursery area. You'll probably see them running around after the service. And it has been such a joy to be here uh, over the last few days and try to encourage and invest in pastors on Friday. And just for me to meet pastors in this area and see how God is at work here is so meaningful for me. Um, as Tony mentioned, I serve as a pastor in Ojai, which is a little town about 80 miles northwest of L.A. I see heads nodding. That is so great. Everybody here knows about Ojai. Nobody in L.A. knows where Ojai is. <laughs> so I think it's a sign of intelligence. You guys are a little... so. Um, but we, I think Lake Tahoe is maybe my favorite place in the whole world. We absolutely, even with the smoke, you know, uh, we were out on the lake yesterday thanks to Ken and Lori, and I woke up this morning and I thought, ooh, I think I took a couple of spills off of the inner tube. But uh, we had so much fun and our kids had a blast, so it's, it's just a joy. And then to worship with you this morning is such a joy. Now, I know that you are going through the book of Romans as a church. Well, guess what? My church is going through the book of Romans, and we're in the exact same spot. I preached on Romans 12 last Sunday, so this is perfect. And uh, as I've been wrestling with this passage, I'm going to boil it all down into one sentence we can start to think about as we get into it, and that's live in light of what time it is. Live in light of what time it is. Now, if you've got a Bible, uh, let me invite you to pull it out and turn to Romans 13. If not, that's fine. I'll read it for us, and I'll take us through these verses. I want to read it through, and then we'll consider this passage for a few moments this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 8, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, now here's the key phrase of the whole passage, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the fret for the flesh to gratify its desires. In his book on heaven, Randy Alcorn tells the story of Florence Chadwick, who was a famous swimmer. And uh, she, in 1952, attempted to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of Southern California. So some of you have perhaps been to Catalina Island. Many of us have heard of Catalina Island. If you've traveled that, you know. If you take a ferry from the coast to the island, that's a long ways. And she swam for 15 hours before a thick fog set in and she began to get uh, tired and she began to get discouraged and the waves were choppy and the sun was setting. She'd been swimming all day long. She thought, I can't go any further. So there, and shark attacks are another danger for the situation like that, which is another thing I think, that would be the worst part for me. <laughs> I don't care about the fatigue, but that's gonna be on my mind, you know? So she's getting close to the shore, but she can't go anymore. And she uh, says to the boat that's following her, I can't go anymore, uh, take me in. So she gets in the boat and they, and they keep going and it turns out, uh, they were right super close to the shore. She'd swam 96% of the way. She was within a mile of the shore. Well, she tried it again about two months later, and this time she made it, even though it was foggy that day as well. And she was asked in an interview, what made the difference between the two times? And she said, the first time, all I could see was the fog, and I got discouraged. The second time, I kept a mental image of the shoreline in my mind while I swam. And then she said, and I, the second time, when the sun started to set, I began to know I can't be that far. It can't be, it can't be long now. And I always think about that image as what heaven should be like for us in this life. This image of what is ahead that we have to keep in our minds that we know that's where we're headed and if we keep that in our minds we can keep going no matter what we're going through but if we don't have that in our minds honestly some of the things we go through in this life are so difficult that i don't know if we can make it without that hope i always think about this the power of having a hope that keeps you going in the present right uh you remember what it feels like when you're a little kid and it's the last day of school before summer break well, you're still going to school, but it's not that bad, right? Because you know it's, it's almost uh, summer break or it could be Christmas vacation or whatever. Uh, those of you who, who exercise, maybe those of you who, who run long distances, if you ever run a marathon or half marathon, how, do, how hard is the last 500 yards? Well, it, you're tired, but there's that adrenaline that kicks in because you know we're almost there. We're almost at the finish line, right? And that is essentially the, the kind of motivation that Paul is giving in this passage. He's saying, you're not far away. Heaven is coming. 
Salvation is nearer now. You know, each passing day, you get a little bit closer to that shoreline. And I think about that, especially, I think about that all the time. I've preached a lot of sermons on heaven, but I think about that especially right now because I don't know how you guys feel about this. Maybe it's different in different places, but I think there's a lot of discouragement right now. A lot of people have been through loss in the last 16 months, the last 18 months. I think that's pretty pervasive. And sometimes you dip down into those seasons of discouragement or darkness or loss, and it's like being in the fog, you know? You can't see where you're going. And in those seasons in life, you, you, you need to have a, a hope that sustains you. You need to have a sense of, that's where I'm headed. And that's what Paul is talking about in this passage, and it's the most wonderful hope. If you think of it like this, if there's uh, physical pain, if you have chronic pain in your body, or if there's emotional pain that, that you have because of things that you've been through, some of those things don't get healed in this life. I, I believe God is a healer, and he will heal all pain one day, but sometimes some of that is going to wait till heaven. But the hope is it will happen. There's an expiration date, no matter what kind of pain that is. And I've been thinking on this passage and, and getting hope and encouragement from it myself, and I just want to invite you into that process with me just for a few moments. We'll go briefly through it this morning and, and hope that it would give you a sense of that same encouragement, that same hope that is available to all of us. And if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have that hope. Sometimes we, we forget about it. If you're like me, I can forget to even think about heaven, and I'm just think, seeing the fog and the waves. But it's there, and, and as we focus our minds upon it, I actually did that once a few years ago. I did an experiment where every day for a month, I thought about heaven for as long as it took until it made me happy. Sometimes it was like 10 seconds, you know. <laughs> you just think, oh, yeah, you know. But other times it takes longer, but there's so much to think about. I mean, think of all the people you'll meet. That can take you the whole month right there, just thinking about that. There's so much to heaven. But sometimes we, we don't, we're not focused on the shoreline, right? We're not thinking about that hope. We're not living in light of that hope. And so we get discouraged in the meantime. In this passage, Paul's saying, live in light of the time it is. Live in light of the fact that you're not far from the shore. Live in light of the fact that the sun is setting. We're almost there. And in light of that, he says basically two things to boil it down. He says, number one, love one another. That's verses 8 through 10, the first part. Number two, walk in the light. And that's verses 11 through 14, the second part. Let's walk through both of those. And again, as I said, we'll be brief, but we'll draw out the hope that's here. Hopefully, every single one of us, hopefully, will leave with a sense of hope before we go. So first, love one another. Paul says in verse 8 basically three things. First of all, he says, uh, pay off your debts, and that's following what Tony helped us think about last week. Uh, Christians should pay their taxes. They should pay their bills. But then he says, secondly, there's one kind of debt that's ongoing. No matter how much you do it, you, you never pay off the debt, and that's the debt of love. You, you never treat someone with, with so much love that at a certain point you can say, okay, I've paid that debt. I don't owe them anymore. <laughs> you might feel like that at times, but Paul says that's an ongoing debt. I love that. That love is an obligation, a debt we owe to one another in Christ. He says it's an ongoing debt, and then he says, thirdly, when you pay that debt, you f fulfill the whole law. And that really uh, got me thinking this week, um, why is that? Why is it that when you love somebody, you fulfilled the whole law? That's what he says here in verses 9 through 10. He lists four of the commandments, of the Ten Commandments. He lists commandments 6, 7, 8, and 10. If you can remember that from Children's Church back in the day or, you know, get the ordering of those right. So he lists those four. And then he lists the golden rule. 
which is love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you obey the golden rule, then you do all these others too. He uses the word fulfilled twice, once in verse 8, once in verse 10. If you love, then you fulfill these other commandments. It's as though these other commandments, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't covet. It's like those are little pointers, and, and their fulfillment is in love. Uh, I think what that means is what these commandments are ultimately pointing us towards is a, a set of habits, inclinations, desires that ultimately are expressed and fulfilled in love. And it's kind of an amazing thought to think about. When you love someone, you've fulfilled everything that God calls you to do to that person. Now, the reason this is really interesting to think about is it's so different from how our culture seems to think, and sometimes even in the church, how we can think. Because Paul is saying that love and law go together. And it seems to me that often we tend to split those apart. Uh, to put it kind of in an emotional, weird kind of way maybe, uh, the law feels cold and prickly and, the, and love feels warm and fuzzy. <laughs> uh, does that make sense at all? The law feels like, ooh, that's kind of strict. And, and love feels, ooh, that's, that, that's warm and that's nice. And Paul's saying, no, 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 uh, love is the law. And, and law, the, the goal of the law is love. And so that got me thinking. And I've been thinking about application from that. What do, what do we do with that? And, and one basic point is this, because of the, the deeper reason Paul gives in verse 10 is that love does no harm to its neighbor. So in other words, the whole point of the laws is, to put that in the opposite, is you, you bless someone, you honor someone, you protect someone. And where that ultimately landed on my heart as I was praying about this passage is just to come to this simple point, and maybe it's helpful to not make it any more complicated than this, is how beautiful love is. Just think about it. When you love somebody, you are honoring that person, you are protecting that person, you are building up that person. And I really do think that's actually pretty countercultural right now. Our culture, I don't know if you've noticed this, our culture seems to be growing more hateful and more tribal and more nasty. And uh, one of the reactions we can have from that is to feel afraid and pull back. And this passage was making me think, wait a second, Paul's saying this is the time in history it is. Lord, help me not to pull back from the culture like that. Help me to step forward in love. And, and as, as the church, Lord, help us to show a radically countercultural way of love. That we, I've known many people who have come to Christ and what ultimately drew them to the gospel wasn't uh, an argument or even a personal experience that they had, what ultimately drew them to the gospel was seeing the way Christians treated each other. And, and they saw something there and they said, there's a love here that I just can't explain unless there's something real behind that. There was an American who was walking down the streets in a, a city in China watching, and he saw a bunch of little boys uh, playing soccer. And one of the bigger ones had a smaller boy on his shoulders while he was playing. And he thought, wow, that's really impressive that he's kind of taking him around like that because that can't make it easier to play soccer. So after the game was over, he came over to him and, and said, way to go. It can't be easy playing with such a heavy burden on your back. And the little boy responded really quickly with these words. He said, oh, he's not a burden. He's my brother. And the American got home and he said, now I understand the meaning of these words, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He said, this little boy taught me. Uh, he said, if, if he can carry 
uh, out uh, this commandment and, and refuse to consider his brother a burden, surely we ought not to think of it a burden to carry our little brothers and the weak and needy ones around us who look to us for, for help. If you think of him as your brother, you don't see him as a burden. And already I was a, a convicted. Actually, I was already convicted when it said uh, the debt of love is ongoing. <laughs> Conviction began at that point. But now I'm thinking, Lord, help me to never think of my brother or my sister in Christ as a burden. They're my brother. They're my sister. And I know that this is, uh, you know, it gets into controversial waters here because for a lot of us today, and just to speak on this briefly, we do want to separate love and law. So I've had a lot of debates with people who want to say that, uh, you know, if you love someone, then that means you affirm their views and their behavior. And that's, in their mind, the definition of what love is. And this passage actually is uh, in contrast to that. Paul's saying love and law go together. So, for example, he lists uh, the seventh commandment, that sex is to be only within the context of marriage. And he says, that's love. Now, that is a point of departure from our culture. Because more and more, there's uh, the idea of open relationships, open marriages, and that's seen as what love means. So when we think about sharing the hope we have with Jesus, uh, of Jesus with our non-Christian friends and neighbors, and some of us who are here may identify with that definition of love in our culture, we want to try to think about how can we be winsome in explaining why what Paul is saying here makes sense. And he gives us such a helpful tool here in the way he explains the purpose of the law. He's saying, if you deviate from what God has said, people get hurt by that. And you can see the fruit of that in our culture's definition of love. If you start opening it up, you know, open marriages, open relationships, people do get hurt. God's way of doing it is to protect people. If you've ever been cheated on, you know that. You know how bad that hurts. And, and so you see the goodness of the law. You see the love that's behind the laws of God. And so one, one basic takeaway for me was saying, okay, Lord, help me to have wisdom when I talk with my non-Christian friends, because they're not going to understand. They're, they're going to have a different set of instincts. And, and one of the things that's helped me think about that is a, a, a writer named Jonathan Haidt, who was a kind of typical um, a Westerner in his view of, of morality and what love is, and he went to live in India for about three months to study. He was an anthropologist. And he began to, see, he began to love these people and, and see the power of their rituals in their community, and he began to be challenged in his Western perspective that love is all about express yourself, you know, just don't harm anyone else, but express yourself. He began to see that's a really small view of love. It, it, and he says there's these six different kind of foundations for how you define what good and wrong are, and our culture has reduced it just down to one, just don't, don't harm someone else. It's very individualistic. And so one of the basic questions sometimes we can ask if we're getting into this with someone is simply, you know, this way of thinking about love, is there anybody else who thought like that before the modern West? And truthfully, the way Paul thinks and the way the scripture calls us to think is actually how most human cultures have thought. And we're in a very strange time in human history where love is defined in such a strange way. That's a basic application. But in the other direction, this, this point already kind of challenged me that I've always got to have love with the law. I, all, I never want to separate it in that way either. So when I'm disciplining my kids, for example, and I explain, hey, you, you should not enter in when, when somebody's getting made fun of at, at school. 
I want to explain the reason behind that. I want to explain that love is the basis for that. I want to say, don't do that because that person is made in God's image and Christ calls us to a more beautiful way. Christ calls us to honor, protect, to serve, to not harm. And, 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 and then in my, my own life, when I'm doing a debate, I do a lot of YouTube debates with Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox people, and I always think about this. Every single time, I have to remind myself of this. If I win the argument, but I don't show love, then I've actually lost. Because who cares if I make a point if they don't see the love of Jesus reflected in my demeanor? And I really believe that because of what Paul says. Remember, without love, what are we? A, a resounding symbol. And so this passage challenges us in those multiple ways. And, and maybe for each of us, we could say, okay, Lord, how, how, how can I learn from that this morning? But then there's a second side, and this is the second point, which is a little more brief. And this is where we really get into the basic appeal of this passage, of the time that we live in. And this is what Paul says in those simple words, the night is far gone, verse 12, the day is at hand. Now let, at my church, sometimes I ask questions. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that here. I'll just put it as a hypothetical, and you can... I'll just make fun of Tony if somebody says something the wrong thing, okay? <laughs> um, how can Paul say the night is far gone? I mean, he doesn't just say the night is waning. He says the night is far gone. And we would look around our world, and a lot of us, when we look at our culture and the things happening, we would say, it doesn't seem like the night is gone. It seems like it's still pretty dark out. So uh, how does Paul understand that? Well, Briefly, what you've got here in this part of the passage, verses 11 to 14, is two metaphors. There's the night and the day, and then there's waking and sleeping. Okay, The night and the day refer to two different times in history, and the waking and sleeping refer, refer to sin versus repentance and salvation. And the basic logic is, uh, it's daytime now, so don't keep sleeping. Now, I'm embarrassed. When I was in college, I used to sleep in so late when I'd come home for Christmas break, and my dad would always say this to me, and now I think about this if I ever sleep in too late. He would say, don't get your days and nights turned around, right? Because it's easy to do that. If you're sleeping in later, it's hard to fall asleep that night. I had a friend uh, who was never allowed to stay out past 10 p.m., and his dad's reason was simple. Nothing good happens after 10 p.m. And it's like, well, you know, it's a decent point. You know, now that I'm a parent, I understand that better. But th th this is kind of the imagery here is that there's certain things that tend to happen at like 11 p.m. And there's certain things that tend to happen at like 7 a.m. And you tend to be more wholesome and productive at 7 a.m. And you tend, uh, there's other things that you tend to think of at 11 p.m. And he talks about some of those. Um, you know, it, he kind of lists three basic kinds of sins here in verse 13. Uh, partying and drinking. Uh, you could translate the word orgies as reveling. Just think of, you know, partying it up on a, on a Friday night, that kind of thing. Sexual immorality, and then, interestingly, social sins. And that's really interesting that quarreling gets linked in with these things. And he's saying that's the nighttime behavior. That's the kind of stuff that you do at night. And then he's saying there's the, 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 the deeds of the, of the light, the armor of the light. Put on the armor of the light. And the, the imagery is like this, and this is how it hit my heart. He's saying Christ has risen from the dead, therefore it's the daytime. So act like that. And I was saying, okay, Lord, that changes my perspective. It helps me not be so pessimistic about the world. Because Paul's understanding is like this, and this is the answer to the question of how can it be daytime now. Paul thinks in terms of two times. There's the, age to, the, the present age and the age to come. 
There's this world, and then there's heaven. And Paul's view is that these things overlap. So we're actually, in a sense, living in the age to come right now. And you can see that throughout the New Testament. There's lots of language of we're in the last days. When Christ was risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, a new time started. Heaven began then. That's why he's called the first fruits. And so, in other words, because we know of what Christ has done, that the light has already dawned, we, we know that he for sure will come back and complete the job, live in light of that. So that got me thinking of, okay, Lord, how, what does it look like to live in light of eternity, to live in light of we're close to the shoreline? There's a church in Milan that has three cathedrals as you walk into the church building, this ancient classic church. And uh, on one of them, there's a beautiful wreath of roses over here. You can walk in through that way. And uh, above it is a sign that says, all that which pleases is for a moment. And then on the other one, on the other side, there's a cross. And it says, all that which troubles us is for a moment. And then there's the central arc. And that one says, that only is important which is eternal. Yeah, right? Because it's saying both the pleasures and the troubles of this life are for a moment. But there's an eternity coming. And I'll just confess here, it's easy for me to forget that. It's easy for that to not make, that's why I did my exercise, you know. It's easy for that not to make an emotional impact on me day to day. It's easy to forget that, you know, we're in the fog and we're in the waves. It's easy to forget there's that shoreline coming. And the point of this passage is it's already begun. It already began with what Christ has done when he rose from the dead. So as we think about uh, how, do, how do we apply this and how do we wrap this up, here's a couple of takeaways for us. When we find ourselves falling into what he calls the deeds of darkness, do you know there's hope for us to just turn away from that because of Christ? He, he's given us every resource we need to step back into the light. If you find yourself falling into the darkness, there's both there's both grace and power to come back into the light and he can help us every step along the way whatever the need is there when we find ourselves like that when we find ourselves living as though it's nighttime when christ is risen and it's the daytime what we can do is put our mind on the shore right remember you know one of the early church fathers said when christ comes in whatever he surprises us in he will judge us in and that's another point of conviction for me. In other words, whatever we're, we're caught in, that's what we'll be evaluated by. And, and that's kind of the same imagery here, living in light of we're almost to the shore. And so I think the ultimate place to land for this is to say, okay, Lord, think of it like this. If I knew that you were coming back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., I'm not saying that will happen. <laughs> but if the second coming was planned for 9 a.m. Monday morning, how would you live differently? okay, just do that, because it's gonna be soon, and we're almost to the shore, and, and everything that is not eternal is, is temporary, but we're almost there. As we conclude, we've kind of seen two sides of it here. There's the corporate, the love one another, because that's the time it is, and then there's the individual. There's the step out of the deeds of darkness because the time is coming. Here's a final image to kind of land it on our hearts. There's a hymn entitled, Hold the fort, for I am coming. I wonder if any, I'd never heard of this hymn. Maybe some of you have heard of this hymn. Well, the story behind it is so wonderful. Towards the end of the Civil War, General Sherman is making his famous march to the sea, and he's attacked 
uh, actually a contingency of his soldiers at a crucial fort is attacked by the other general, General Hood, and they're surrounded and they're hard-pressed and they're trying to wonder, should we just surrender? And those are the emotions sometimes we feel as followers of Jesus. And they're about to surrender and then they see a signal flare come up from the mountain outside of the village. And there's a message that comes in, and that's what the message says, hold the fort for I am coming. And because they know General Sherman is on the way, okay, keep fighting, hold the fort. That's essentially the motivation of this passage. Jesus is coming. Eternity is coming. It will be here before we know it. So we can keep fighting and hold the fort and keep moving forward with joy and with confidence, with love for one another, and with stepping into the light because Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you call, though you call us to challenging things, you do not call us to do it in our own strength. Lord, you call us to do it in the hope and the power you provide. I pray for every single person here that the reality of who you are and what you've accomplished in Jesus Christ, when you died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave, that that would be real and present to each heart here so we would feel that hope and we would know that's not for someone else that's not a message for someone else that's for me you've done that for me and i can step toward the light in my life hold on can i ask a question you made fun of me as long so as you're not going to make fun of me okay go ahead sorry elena so it says not in quarreling or jealousy and I've watched your YouTube stuff and debates with Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. Explain how that is not quarreling. What is your intent on that? I want these people to understand your heart, knowing in this room are Roman Catholics and people from Greek Orthodox backgrounds. Yeah. So explain that for us. Oh. In 10 seconds or less, right? <laughs> 30. Uh, I think the goal is what Jesus himself calls us to, and that's truth and love together. Uh, we can't compromise. We've got to speak the truth with even with boldness, right? I think that's what our Savior calls us to do. But we've got to do it with love in our heart. We want to desire the welfare of the person with, that we're talking with and everyone else who watches uh, so that they know what we're wanting is not to win. What we're wanting is to heal and bless. That's how I understand so, it. So you have in these conversations, they've moved you forward in your faith you help them also yeah yeah oh absolutely i just want them to understand your heart yeah because sometimes debates the word debate simply implies argue as opposed to seeking you know so yeah. anyways yeah so yes. that's fun to make sure here you know and we had a prayer request thank you very much yeah i'll make yeah. fun of you when you leave okay so um <laughs> So I, I want to pray for something before we sing our last song, and that is um, Bill and Diana. Where are you, Bill and Diana? In the back. There, there are ushers. You met him when you came in. Um, Bill was telling me that his daughter has been diagnosed with melanoma, and the hospital system she was in, in, in where she lives, put her off for all of COVID, and the fear is it's spread outside of her leg, possibly to other parts of her body. So here's our prayer request, and I ask for you. And they're going to put on the prayer chain. So if you're part of the prayer chain, you'll be getting this tomorrow. But we're going to pray for Elizabeth, their daughter, that the, the surgeons will be able to remove it all, and it will not have spread anywhere else. So, Father, we there's so many people in this room, Lord, who, who um, have struggles right now and pains and hurts, as we all know. Um, 
But specifically, Lord, hearing about Elizabeth, Lord, we just ask this, Father, that knowing some surgery has happened already, but more is coming, they can remove all of the cancer, Father. It has not spread into the lymph node system or anywhere else in her body, Father, and that, that she can be declared cancer-free. So, Father, that is our prayer. But even more than that, Father, work in Elizabeth's heart and mind to pull her closer to your son and give her a faith and trust in him that he is working to make us into his image, no matter what happens in our life, Lord. As Gavin just said, the shore is close. And someday he's going to come and make all things right. And what a glorious day that will be. So thank you, Father. These things we ask in your incredible son's name. Amen. So please. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship?
Thank you.